Greater Good Radio. I use as a rule of thumb that I'm trying to get about five times my money in three years or ten times my money in five years. Hi, we can design your home in one minute or less. Inspire. Inspire. If you are doing your passion on a daily basis, then you're never going to have to work a day in your life. Greater Good Radio, brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where we develop tomorrow's leaders by bringing you up close and personal with today's top business people. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to the promotion and implementation of social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and today's show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Today's guest is Chris Lee, executive producer of the movie Superman Returns. Mr. Lee is the former president of production at TriStar Pictures and Columbia Pictures, which produced Academy Award-winning films Jerry Maguire, Philadelphia, and As Good As It Gets. In 2002, Chris founded the University of Hawaii Academy for Creative Media, which is the first film school at the University of Hawaii. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Chris Lee. So, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here today. So, your career is, is so successful. How, how did you start? Uh, it started at Iolani School because <laughs> um, I um, was lucky enough to go there, and then I went to uh, Yale, actually, after graduating from high school way back in 1975. Um, I always had an interest in the entertainment industry. I probably thought I would be an attorney like uh, most good political science majors as I was, but um, you know, I just had this bug about movies and television, and so when I graduated, I actually um, spent the summer in Manhattan looking for a job in television. And there's n- not much of a film industry there. And uh, eventually I got a job at Good Morning America. And uh, that sort of started me off and working in the industry. What were you doing at Good Morning America? I started actually in the tape room, $180 a week. Um, eventually I was a segment producer. Specifically I did a lot of the entertainment news and movie reviews and booking celebrities, and I sort of had a, a natural affinity for that sort of Hollywood aspect of, the, of entertainment. Was that, in, was that in New York, or was that in... That was Manhattan. That was New York, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then how did you make your way west and end up in Hollywood? Uh, well, I had an opportunity from a director, a young director at the time named Wayne Wang, who did a, his first movie called Chan is Missing. Wayne is most famous for the Joy Luck Club. He was getting ready to make his second movie, which was called Dim Sum, and he asked me to be his assistant director but that meant moving to San Francisco where he was making the film on an independent basis with private money. I had always been interested in film, and so I just basically took the leap and said, all right, I'm going to relocate and uh, see what it means to actually make a movie. So what, what does an assistant director actually do? Well, that was a good question, and I didn't really know at the time. And I actually admitted that to Wayne. I said, you know, Wayne, I know what an, an AD does in television, but I really don't know what you do when you're on film sets. And he said, well, I've never had one either. So why don't you come out and figure it out together? <laughs> so I don't know if I was the best AD, but um, I did learn an awful lot. I also worked as the assistant editor on the picture. You know, did many functions over the next two and a half years because it took us a long time to make that movie. Okay. And then what was the next step after that then? Well, you know, one of the things that when you get these jobs is you realize maybe it's not what you wanted to do. And I discovered I didn't want to be an AD and I didn't want to do editing. And, you know, that that's sort of like the 
production process and the post-production process. So the only thing left was the development process, which is everything that comes before film starts to roll in the camera or state tape starts to roll in the camera. Um, and so I decided to set my eye sights on Hollywood itself. And there are just a few entry points into the system in Hollywood. One of them is being an assistant. Another is being an intern. One of them is one of them is being a, a script reader, a script analyst. And basically, it's exactly what it sounds like: is you are given these screenplays by the studios to read, and you do an analysis of them. It's generally a couple pages long, a synopsis, and then a critique. And since ninety-nine point nine percent of the scripts aren't very good, it's how do you say this is not very good ninety-nine percent of the time. Uh, occasionally, though, you do find a real gem, and that's your job, is to sort of be the first gate of uh, entry point for the studios, uh, which receive, uh, even just from agents alone, um, a th you know, a thousand screenplays a month, as well as books. And So how many were you going through every month yourself? Well, curiously enough, um, I, I got this job as a freelance script reader for TriStar Pictures. And that meant I was either doing one or two a night or a book. And uh, I think it was about $35 a piece because I was an independent contractor for them. And after a couple of weeks of doing this, my boss, who had a full-time job, the assistant story editor at the company, was promoted because his boss was promoted. And for whatever reasons, they liked my work enough to say, would you like to have the assistant story editor job? So this... Uh, gave me my first opportunity to have an office to work for a company in Hollywood, and TriStar became my home for the next 13 or so years. How long was that when you started as you know, the script reader, and then you ended up at that, that next position? Well, that, that was the, the kind of bizarre thing about it. I was literally was a script reader for maybe two weeks. And I'd never oh. been a script reader before. And I don't know what it is that they saw in my ability to analyze material. I think it might have been also been my interpersonal skills with the other readers. Because basically, at that level, you're wrangling all the other readers. You're assigning the scripts out to the various people that read scripts and books for the, move, for the studio. And then they, when they come back, particularly when they like something, you're sort of the next level. You've got to take a look at it and give it kind of a second read and see if they're really right. And the reason that you you do that is is because the onslaught of material that comes in um, from from Hollywood writers to the studios is so overwhelming that you wouldn't have time to, as an executive who's working on an actual movie or developing scripts that the studio actually owns, you wouldn't have time to read everything. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, and today's guest is Chris Lee currently also producing the film Superman Returns. Chris is the founder of the University of Hawaii Academy for Creative Media. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. So before the break, we were talking about script reading. And, you know, what is it that makes a good script? I mean, uh, do you have a mental checklist in your head that you go, these are the five things needed? or and Actually, it, it breaks down to about five things. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and then we do little boxes um, on the analysis that have to do with dialogue, character, structure, concept of the movie itself, um, sort of the issues about pacing, and then there's a consideration of budget too sometimes. But what you're looking for is something fresh, and what you're always keeping in mind is that even if you buy that script today, most likely it's not going to get made for years. It's very rare for a picture to come along or a script to come along that goes immediately into production. I mean, one of the few that I remember was uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, mm -hmm. which went from a script purchase to a movie in less than two years. If you think about the fact that it's about 18 months just for the production of a movie, and then you think about all the time that's spent just trying to get the script right, 
Um, so that was an unusual experience. Uh, other, I think a more likely experience is something like Legends of the Fall, which I think was in development for 10 years before it was um, uh, it got actually got made. And um, so, you know, it's um, the, ch the, ch the challenge is trying to figure out what the audience is going to want to see a few years from now. And you can't be behind the curve. You know, you can't be the last body switching movie to come out. You got to be the first, or you got to be the best. And then, how how are you preparing for that? You're just doing a lot of reading. You're talking to a lot of people. How do you um, stay in that kind you know, of that pulse? It's ultimately uh, your your gut instinct. It's very subjective. Um, the reason that I had a successful career in Hollywood and continue to do so is that I was more right than wrong. Uh, you quickly learn that you're not going to be right 100 percent of the time. In fact, if you're right 50 percent of the time, you're doing amazing. So it's a, kind of playing know, the odds almost. To a certain extent, yes, you know. Um, but you also learn pretty quickly that you know, nobody sort of sets out to make a bad movie, which may be surprising to people because they've somehow <laughs> seem to get made. And you're always wondering, I could do better than that. And, like, how could they make this movie? It's so horrible and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough. I, I, I think that the, the, the second hardest thing in Hollywood is, 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 to, is to actually get the movie actually made. Uh, the, the toughest thing is to make a good movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes um, if you're extraordinarily fortunate and uh, the stars literally line up and you get a chance to work with a Cameron Crowe on a Jerry Maguire with a Tom Cruise and you discover a Renee Zellweger and you're working with Jim Brooks, the writer-director of uh, Terms of Endearment and with whom also I did um, As Good As It Gets, it's brilliant. You know, it's just It's just genius and it is such an honor and pleasure to work with those people because that's they are the fountainheads th from which those those pictures derive. But it's just as easy to, you know, maybe have a good piece of material and not find that perfect director or not have that perfect star for it and just have it sit on the shelf or even worse, go off and make it with the wrong star and the wrong director and find that there really isn't an audience for it. And that just kind of comes with experience then. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's certainly an, a, a trial and error process. And I think... You know, Hollywood works pretty much um, on a sort of an apprenticeship basis. As I said, when I started as a reader, that was my vector into the industry, uh, being an assistant, being an intern the other ways. And you sort of, you kind of enter with a, uh, in some ways, you matriculate with a class like you do in high school or college. And along the way, there's a winnowing process. And it's it's definitely a challenge to stay in the game. But it that's just part of the competitive environment. And I think what made a difference for me was uh, I made an early determination that I would go out and I would meet a lot of young, unknown directors because I knew the famous directors had no reason to ever talk to me. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to um, such individuals as Gus Van Sant and Roland Emmerich and John Woo um, long before uh, anybody else had ever worked with them or even knew them. So would you say that it's more in Hollywood to become successful? Is it more what you know or who you know? I think it's a combination of both. Um, for me, uh, coming in from Hawaii, uh, I basically used every route I could to get myself in the door, and that meant uh, contacting people who had some vague relationship to somebody I might have some vague relationship to, and if I was lucky enough that they said yes and come in, we'll do an interview, that's how I got a job. But going beyond that, to be honest with you, um, I was very fortunate in that there's a woman named Bonnie Lee, who is a graduate of Punahou and from Hawaii. She's Edgy Lee's sister. 
oh. the famous filmmaker from Hawaii. And um, Bonnie was a, a um, one of the best executives in Hollywood. She worked at Warner Brothers. She was responsible very much for the beginnings of Tim Burton's career. Um, and she uh, was a local girl um, and very kindly agreed to meet with me and gave me a list of, I think, 10 or 11 individuals that she said, use my name, go and meet these people. And I remember that um, 10 of the 11 did. And for whatever reasons, I only remember the one who didn't meet with me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that really started me in terms of networking in Hollywood. So I think that's an example of, I think I had some innate ability in terms of uh, picking up material and stuff and analyzing, being able to basically be conversant in what hopefully would make a good movie or not make a good movie. Um, but beyond that, it was absolutely essential that I then, through Bonnie Lee, met agents, managers, other executives, and that became a bit of a core group for me um, that was very supportive. And, you know, to this day, my, my best friends in Hollywood are the ones that I met in those very first few weeks uh, at TriStar Pictures. Wow. So that actually is a true testament of, you know, kind of the Aloha spirit. Mm. It is absolutely, um, you know, and I, I don't, I think that the, the reality is, of course, um, many people in Hollywood have friends or family in the business already. Coming from Hawaii, you generally don't have that luxury. Uh, and I think uh, the most important thing of the, you know, what you know versus who you know um, combination is that when you get to a point when, you know, you know people, then you need to share that with others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for myself, for instance, uh, when I got to the point where I had things like interns and assistants, uh, uh, very often uh, there was a strong local connection for me, and I've you know, helped uh, a number of, of young students to, uh, you know, kind of get their foot in the door in Hollywood from okay. Hawaii. Okay. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that after our break. This is John DeMello from the Mountain Apple Company. You're listening to Carrie and Evan on Greater Good Radio. This is Lane Moroka, President and CEO of Big City Diner Restaurants. As far as financing, initially starting up, we never went to any of the banks because my past experience with the banks was like, restaurants, no. I think sometimes they fail to look at the people. Why did you choose to go at Central Pacific Bank? The people there are wonderful at Central Pacific Bank. Very service-oriented. Clinton came straight to Kailua. He sat down with us there, you know. I mean, how many CEOs wouldn't take the time out of their day to come uh, talk to a small business person? So made a big impact upon me. So with the banks, they do all of our day-to-day -day cash deposits and receivables and credit cards, all that kind of stuff, daily transactions and all that. And they do it for all four of our restaurants. Would you recommend Central Pacific Bank to other business people? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think they have done wonderful work with small businesses. And I think they're willing at least to listen to what you have to offer and what you have to say. Yeah, I highly recommend talking and listening to the people at Central Pacific Bank. Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. You're listening to Greater Good Radio, brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Now back to Evan and Carrie on Sports Radio 1420. We're back with Chris Lee, founder of the University of Hawaii Academy for Creative Media. Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about the networking and, and how you were able to help those uh, students get established in Hollywood? Well, you know, you can be as helpful as you want to be, and you just have to make the time. Um, um, I think that for myself, because I was sort of very specifically saying, you know, I, I, I know that there's going to be kids from Hawaii like myself that are going to be interested in the business. I know there's going to be kids from Hawaii that 
whose parents are going to say the same thing, like, why do you want to go into show business? And, uh, you know, but if they're, they're brave enough to venture up there, then I think that they, they, they can use whatever helping hand they can get. Now, that only goes as far as their talent. If they're you know, clearly not, not up to the task, then, you know, you don't have to extend yourself. But we have no shortage of talent, talented students coming out of Hawaii. And, and, you know, for them to be able to pursue their dreams as I did and find whether it's uh, jobs as writers or directors or executives like myself – um, you know, that's, I think that's really an important thing that we, that we all have to do uh, if we're lucky enough to get there ourselves. Do you have a success story or maybe one person in mind that, you know, maybe you kind of helped along and, and they're just a huge success now? Well, there, there, there's a few. Actually, there's a few. Um, uh, there's a, actually, the new co-executive producer of Lost was my first uh, assistant. His name is Steve Maeda. He's not actually from here, but he's a hoppa boy. Um, Matt Okamura is an Iolani grad also. Uh, I helped him get into the Peter Stark program, which is sort of the premier MBA in film. It's at USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now running uh, Storyline Productions, which is – not Storyline, um, Smallville Productions, which is the, basically the, the show Smallville, the writers Goff and Millar. He's running their uh, film division over at Disney, and he's also written scripts for them and stuff. And so uh, I'm, I'm very, very proud of, 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 of Matt. He's done very, very well for himself. Okay. Well, how, how did this whole um, Academy for Creative Media get started then? Was it w- a, a thing you wanted to do for a while? or No, uh, actually, I, about? My, I, I was, um, I've been in Hollywood for about 27 years, and like a lot of my peers from Hawaii who left in the 70s, uh, many of us were coming home um, primarily because our parents were getting much older and had health issues and wanted to spend time in Hawaii. And uh, it's hard to break away from, obviously, the salary structures and the life that people can accomplish on the mainland. But on the other hand, you can't compare it to the benefits of being with family and the benefits of being here in Hawaii. The challenge is, is to find things that are just as interesting to do with your life in some ways. And, and uh, my father had sent me a newspaper clipping about the university was interested in building a film school. And I was actually approached by some faculty here at the university if I'd be interested in it. So I gave it a lot of thought. And um, and then I said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be home. I'm going to be continue producing. I'm going to produce from Hawaii um, during the time I was in the middle of SWAT. Um, but I will uh, – let me see what I can do with this. And so uh, I made a deal to do so, and, and that's how I got involved. Was it hard to continue to produce in Hawaii while you were putting the school together? How'd you manage your yeah, time? Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, I think that that's why we have Hawaiian Airlines, so you can just get on a plane and go back and forth. And that, you know, I was sort of used to uh, commuting by air um, from various projects and things. But there's no question that I had to set aside uh, virtually everything else. So SWAT was sort of the last project that I did in Hollywood, and then everything just everything else just sort of came to a halt. And I really did spend um, two years working very hard uh, trying to get this thing up and running. I mean, the first year was just about reconnaissance um, and learning about the system. I had taken one class at UH during the summer, um, and I hadn't been back on campus in a long time. But I didn't, wasn't just interested in what was happening in Manoa. I was interested in what's happening at all the campuses on all the islands. So I went to all 10 campuses. I've met with faculty, administrators, um, students. I met with a lot of the business community, um, and I met with um, 
a lot of the political leadership in the state and going door to door in the legislature and stuff and meeting with the governor. Um, I think that the, the key for me was to try to figure out what kind of film school, and it's more than a film school, but what that would mean in an era where there are about 200 film schools in this country, and there are brilliant ones, USC, UCLA, NYU, um, and they're huge operations, and they, they are the gold standard. So what is it that we in Hawaii could create that we could market on a global basis that could make a difference here in Hawaii? And so I moved very quickly away from, the t from just the notion of film to the notion of storytelling and not caring very much about which medium the students use to choose to tell their stories. Because for me, it was just as important to embrace computer animation and video gaming as it was traditional film. Now, So more on the content then, as opposed to the content. delivery. It's all about content. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't, nest, for instance, there are some very good programs here already at the community colleges and at uh, Pacific New Media. If you wanted to go in and learn about how to do Final Cut Pro or how to do um, Maya software stuff. And that's not what we really do. We're focused on the storytelling. And the storytelling for me was about providing uh, an institution that would be dedicated, uh, on the one hand, to being a platform for indigenous storytellers, whether it's local kind storytelling or just stories that hadn't been told before. Uh, and then on the other side, working with, uh, in particular, uh, animation and video gaming uh, because I know that there are, there's a number growing, there's a growing industry here in Hawaii already in this area, and I felt there's no reason why Hawaii cannot be the home of, say, Pixar, or one of the homes of Electronic Arts, uh, or do what Singapore just did, which was to attract LucasArts to move their animation and gaming all the way to Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's, to me, the creation of intellectual property is the kind of manufacturing. Hawaii should be involved in because it doesn't require the raw materials to come in from Matson, and it doesn't require the finished product to go out on Matson, which isn't to say anything bad about Matson. It's just to say that those inherent cost structures make it impossible for us to compete with places that you know have the ability to bring in raw materials and ship out finished product. We also don't have the uh, low-cost, large labor population of say um, a China or or Hong Kong. Um, but what we do have is really smart kids who have some great stories to tell. And they are very, like most kids today, uh, they're very Akamai about how to work with the mediums, how to work on computers, uh, how to program for computers. And so I was much more interested in multimedia literacy, if you will, than traditional linear uh, learning processes. And visual storytelling is, for me, is going to be very much the way um, we will learn in the future, much more so than now. Uh, and beyond that, the icing on the cake was the cost structure in terms of the technology necessary to create a film school had come down so far from what it used to be. You know, it used to be that you would have to hi buy a $200,000 Avid editing deck just so people could edit things together. In fact, the University of Hawaii years ago was like the first place to buy an Avid. It's still in a corner somewhere. Um, but the notion that I came up with is what I call the digital tool belt, which was basically um, a laptop with the software for writing, for editing, for animation, for video games, combined with a small DV camera. Uh, literally goes into a backpack, and then the students go out and 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 make their movies. And just as importantly, uh, 
because you give them the tools to take home with them, they're working as much as possible on their projects. The old model was that students would have to sign up for editing time and come in for their two hours and then get off the machine. And the reality of the creative process is the big ideas come at 4.30 in the morning. They don't come because someone's slotted you in for two hours at, at 7 a.m. or something like that. So, so, you know, there was a sort of a, I think, sort of a bit of a radical rethinking about how much, how the education was going to be taught. There obviously was a traditional classroom time, but... I refer to it as sort of 24-7 education because this it's very intensive, time-intensive, uh, making these movies. But if the students have access to the editing equipment and stuff like that, then they, then, then they can spend the time doing it. So it's almost like you've revamped the structure of learning. Well, I don't, I don't know if I've revamped the structure of learning. I just looked at a problem which on one mm-hmm. hand was a practical one. I didn't have any infrastructure. I had no building space. Uh, I had a couple classrooms. I didn't really have any equipment. Um, and so, but what could I buy with, say, a $100,000 gift from Roy and Hilda Takayama, who were very kind, were sort of my angel investors early on? Well, I could buy 10 or 12 laptops and 10 or 12 cameras, and I could hire an instructor, Ann Misawa, who's a brilliant filmmaker herself and is another Punahou graduate, had come back to Hawaii and actually have somebody instructing them and making movies. And out of that course, you know, came, I think, something like a 100 short films because they had to do like five movies in one semester. Mm -hmm. And they could do it because we were giving them the tools for it. Uh, And some of those films have gone on to win awards and play festivals around the world and continue to do so. Um, And I think that the model has proven to be very successful that you didn't, what I didn't want to do was go in and say, all right, I'm not doing anything until you give me a building, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is maybe a little more traditional here uh, because I, had, I knew I could attract the students and I knew I could attract the faculty and I knew both were very talented. I just needed to give them some tools. And by tools, I don't just mean the, the hardware. I also mean the tool of the learning experience with the instructor. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii and today's guest is Chris Lee. Mr. Lee is the founding chairman of University of Hawaii's Academy for Creative Media. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Do you have a global vision for the Academy? Well, actually, um, the, one of the things that I think that we've already jumped to the forefront on um, is, is global media studies. Uh, this year, um, you know, two years ago, I didn't really have any faculty. This year, we now have about 10, um, and they're quite distinguished. Um, some of them are locally born, brought back, and some are people like the, uh, the the Maori filmmaker Mara Tamita, who does our indigenous screenwriting courses, um, a guy named Joel Moffat, who joined us from AFI and Chapman University, which is one of the leading film schools in the country, and chose to to join us. And uh, they, um, I think that uh, our our focus is on the Pacific Rim. I think that we're going to continue to build a lot of relationships with the countries of Asia, Korea, China, um, Japan, obviously, and then all through the South Pacific. I think we'll become a magnet for that kind of talent. We'll become known for it. Um, you know, one of the things about the Hollywood uh, film schools like USC and UCLA is everybody wants to be Steven Spielberg, and I don't blame them. Uh, and I know that we're going to have our own Steven Spielbergs, or more importantly, what we will have is our own Peter Jackson. And I bring up Peter Jackson, who's the writer-director of the Lord of the Rings trilogies and now doing King Kong, because he was basically supported by the New Zealand Film Commission as a young filmmaker. And then when he became famous in Hollywood, he said, "Um, I'm not going to work in Hollywood. Hollywood's going to come to me. 
So he has almost single-handedly built an enormous industry, not for his own films, but for films like Last Samurai and Chronicles of Narnia, which is coming out, which are now done in New Zealand. So he has created a billion-dollar industry for his for his home country. And I think that we will see that from one of these individuals one of these days is going to say, all right, Hollywood, if you want to work with me, and I, you're going to have to come to Hawaii to work with me. Um, Almost so, like yourself. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll bring back what I can, but it's a little different. I'm not a creative. I'm not, I'm not a brilliant writer-director like Brian Singer or, or Cameron Crowe or, or, or Peter Jackson. But, but I think what's important is that um, the uh, idea of the school is to build infrastructure not by continuing to create vendors, but by creating storytellers, by creating, by creating an indigenous industry here so that everybody who does work as a vendor has more work and you don't have this feast or famine cycle that's based on whether or not Hollywood decides to do a television show here. I come from a sort of a business background. I like the kids competing in the real world. Mm-hmm. And for instance, uh, I think one of the great deals that we did this last year was we worked with Scion Hawaii with Servco Pacific. And the deal that we structured was, you know, because I've gotten some wonderful grants from businesses around town, ABC and uh, the, the Scheidler folks and the Takayamas that I mentioned. But um, we, we worked out this deal where we did three commercials for them. And the way the deal worked was this. It was a $50,000 grant from Servco. But I said, I, don't want, I want the kids to earn it, and I want the money to go directly to them. So what we did was we took the advanced class, and we said, they're going to pitch to you just the way um, – an advertising firm would pitch to you. And they got 12 ideas. 12 different students had 12 different pitches. They bought three of them. Okay, so I said, all right, so for that, for the pitch level, $10,000, okay? And if you don't like any of them, that's it. Don't give me any more money, right? Because um, we're not going to make the p- commercials anyways. So, um, but if you do like them, then we go to the next level. So give me $20,000 to start production on these three things. And we, that's what we did. We, they bought three. And uh, we, everybody crewed around, all the other students crewed around, and all the local production community was fantastic. The crews were fantastic to our kids. Um, and then on so delivery, the whole class works on it. The whole class works on it, but Every- they divide into three, three different things. Okay. And then on delivery, if we deliver the product and you like it, then there's another $20,000. So it's basically how it works in the real world. You know, you don't really get the money until you deliver the product. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just get it just because you're enrolled or something like that. And so they were competing with one another as they will in the real world. They were working with one another as they will in the real world. And they were being, you know, as students, because the money goes directly to their production budgets, they were being compensated as they would be in the real world if they delivered a good product. Now, the product was good enough that it got, that we're going to, we're talking with Servco about doing it again. Uh, next year, and and I think it's fantastic, and I think that's that's an example. I know, you know Hawaii is unbelievably um, kind when it comes to giving to others. We our proportion of giving compared to the rest of the country is like way off the charts, and um, you know locally, of course, local businesses are always being asked to pony up money and make donations and stuff like that, and that's a very important part of our society. But I think when you can combine that with entrepreneurship. I think it's a much better lesson for the students to understand what the competitive environment is really going to be like and is their product going to stand out and is it going to work because it's one thing to make a movie or a TV show or a commercial or a music video. It's an entirely different thing to have it distributed and seen by people. 
And that's the only time when you know you've actually done something of quality because you get a response from the audience. And from what I can tell, because the commercials are still running, they must like them because I don't think they'd put up commercials. They would, they would think we'd be, be negative for their products. So, so I think it was a win-win for both sides. And I think that that's – hopefully that's sort of a template that we'll be able to do. Now, I'm not – now, I've got a lot of requests from people saying, can we come and do a wedding video and stuff like that? And that doesn't interest me at all, <laughs> obviously, because there's lots of great wedding video firms. And we're not here to, to, you know, to compete with all the great existing companies out there. But on the other hand, in moving us beyond um, uh, into narrative story, you know, this is, the, uh, this is an opportunity. To tell a story in 30 seconds or 15 seconds is much harder than 90 minutes. So that's a, that's, that's a wonderful challenge and the opportunity of, of, of a deal like the Scion deal. Well, thank you, Chris, to, uh, for joining us today on Greater Good Radio Hawaii. For more information on today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii. This show is brought to you today by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Please stay tuned to Sports Radio 1420 for another intriguing episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.